0: Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the least of these podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much, and God bless you. They're sleeping up to the I see his blessed face. Praying. the bright morning star he's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul amen we're going to be in john chapter 12 again today and last week we kind of finished up about verse 8 we were talking about the fact that jesus was being anointed by mary with the ointment and it was about twenty twenty-five thousand thousand dollars worth of ointment today's Terms And uh, it was a year's worth of wages at that time. 300 denarii. A denarii was one day's wages. She gave her best to Jesus. And Jesus said to Judas, because Judas says, hey, why don't we sell this and give it to the poor? But but John tells us the reason he said that is because he was wanting to steal the money. And because Judas was a thief, And he always took from the money bag. What we see is at the end, I guess all the disciples had fussed at Mary about giving it away. Judas kind of started it, but they all were fussing and Jesus says, Leave her alone. She's doing this for my burial. The poor you will have always, but me you do not have. Let's start in verse 9. He says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not only for Jesus' sake, but they also might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in him. Here in verse 9, we start to see the curiosity of the people. There's a bunch of people coming to the Passover, not to be there for the Passover, but they just coming to see this man, Lazarus, They want to come see Jesus, and they want to see Lazarus who was raised from the dead. I guess everybody wants to see somebody who was raised from the dead. And so they came not only for Jesus' sake, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. And remember, that's about the third time he says that. He was raised from the dead. And it said three times in those first eight verses or nine verses. There's an emphasis that he had been raised from the dead. And so these people come, they're curious, and they want to see Jesus, and they want to see Lazarus. And I think today, you know, there's a lot of curious people that sit in church, and they want to see what's going on, and they want to be a part of it, but they really never trust Christ. They never really believe on Christ. They never get to the place where they understand the truth. They want to see what's going on. They want to be a part of what's going on, but they never... Get to that place, and it's a shame because these same curious people are the ones that are later going to crucify Jesus. Look at verse ten. He says, "But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus." In other words, they see the fact that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Now the problem is here. We see the cruelty of the priest. These people are supposed to be the religious leaders, but remember these are the same people. If you go to the other Gospels, John doesn't focus on that, but John, but all the other Gospels, Jesus tells them there, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There's one chapter he says that about 10 or 12 times in that whole chapter, and, and Jesus understands, and, and God wants us to understand These other gospels that these men—they didn't care about anything to do truly with Christianity. What they cared about was being in power. They cared about their pride, their position. They were cruel, prideful people who loved to be seen and heard and to be looked at because you had to be somebody to be a Pharisee. There were only, I think, about six thousand of them. I think at the time. That Jesus was around, and so it was a very prominent position, and they loved to the lord it over the people and let everybody know they were in control. And what happens here is a lot of these people were Sadducees. The Sadducees were the people who did not believe in a resurrection, they didn't believe in a literal resurrection from the dead. And so, see, they were in trouble, number one, because everybody's leaving them and going over to Jesus. They're losing their popularity, their power, and their position. The second thing that happens is they're on a theological thin ice. In other words... They don't believe in a resurrection. They teach there's no resurrection. But guess what? There's a guy wandering around who, who gives perfect evidence that there is a resurrection. So, that, you know, what do you do when somebody's walking around that disputes what you believe? They want to get rid of the evidence. And so they want to get rid of Lazarus. They want to kill Lazarus again because they're not happy he's alive. They're mad because he's alive. Because people are leaving Jesus and they're going away and believing in Him and they're leaving the uh, Pharisees. So they're mad about this and that's kind of what's going on. There's the curiosity of people, there's the cruelty of the priest. Here we are and all these people are kind of around and some of them are looking. And, and the whole reason Jesus came is so that we would make a choice for Him, right? He wants us to believe in Him, to trust in Him so we can go to heaven. But some of these people are mad because He's here. Some people are curious and some people are believing. But then when we get to verse 12, remember we were six days out from the cross. It says in verse 12, the next day, now we're down to five days away from the cross. It says, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So what happens? Jesus knows that it's time to go to the cross. It's getting down to that time. What He's going to have to do is He's going to have to force the hands of the Pharisees because the Pharisees don't want to kill Him during this time of Passover. Passover. But Jesus is God. Jesus is in control of everything. You know, ultimately, you know, we, we talk about that verse in the New Testament that Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things together for good to them that love God and call it according to His purposes. And notice in the Old Testament, there's a verse that's in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, That Joseph told his brothers after they were apologizing and saying, Don't kill us because we sold you into slavery. Joseph tells his brothers, he says, Y'all meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many alive today into Egypt. So Joseph realizes that even though his brothers meant evil, God wanted to do something good out of that. He brought his brothers into Egypt out of the famine where they would have starved to death. And the whole tribe of Israel would have died out. And Jesus wouldn't have been able to come. So they're in Egypt now. So what's happening here? Yes, God is working it out somehow, some way. He's not making people kill Him. But what He's doing is He's taking the evil of men. And He's forcing their hand. And He's going to have it where He dies on the cross at the same time that the Passover lambs are dying. Because remember, John chapter 1, verse 29 says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus was the real Lamb of God. He was the real one that was going to take away our sin. In the Old Testament, every time they killed one of those lambs, that was a picture of Jesus. Every time they kill one of those bulls, every time they kill one of those goats, one of those doves, one of those birds, those were all a picture of Jesus sacrifice on the cross what he was going to do one day and they were all leading up to the fact that one day Jesus would die on the cross. See, all the way back in Genesis 3:15, y'all remember what happened, right? Adam and Eve sin, and it says that, that God, back in Genesis, he killed an animal and he covered, covered them up. He covered their nakedness. And what he did by killing an animal was the Bible says there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So what God did was kill an animal to make up for their sin. Now, the animals could never take away sin, but it was looking forward to the time that one day Jesus would die on that cross and die for our sin, and that he would ultimately take away all of our sins. It tells us that over in Romans chapter 3, that God in his forbearance, he he overlooked the sins of the past because he knew that one day Jesus would come and die on the cross. And that he could not only be a just God by having overlooked the sin of the past, but he could also legally declare us righteous because somebody paid for our sin because God paid for it on the cross through Jesus Christ and so that's what's going on here and these people they they don't realize what's going on but they they all these people see Jesus they know if you look in the genealogies and Matthew and Mark or maybe it's Luke I, I can't remember right to say I think it's uh, Luke but if you look at those two genealogies you see that Jesus has the legal right to be king. If you remember way back in about chapter five, they tried to make him king because they knew he had the right to be king. But he didn't come to be king the first time. He came to be crucified. These people, they know that Jesus is this person. They think he's this Messiah. This the the Jews believe that the Messiah was somebody who would be a political savior. They weren't thinking of spiritual salvation. They weren't thinking of being able to go to heaven. They were thinking of somebody that would get them out from under the power of Rome. And so they think that Jesus is this political Messiah who's going to save them from the Roman oppression and deliver them. They come out and they took branches of palm trees. And the palm trees were those strong branches and they were the things that were used when a conqueror was there. And what they do is they begin to sing Psalm 118 and I think it's verse 26, the Hillel, which is, uh, we were just singing He's the lily of the valley and then we say hallelujah He's the bright morning star. But guess what, these Psalms 113-118 through they were called the Hallel. They were the Hallelujah Psalms. They were sung during the Passover. But this particular verse in in verse twenty six, which is right here, Hosanna! Blessed he comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This comes directly out of verse twenty six. And this Psalm one hundred eighteen was considered the Conqueror's Psalm, the Conqueror's Psalm or song, whichever it is. It's both. But basically, this was the psalm that was saying that Jesus was going to come and He was going to conquer. He was going to take over and He was going to come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Most High God, and He was going to rule and reign forever. But guess what? They've got it wrong. And this word, Hosanna, means save now. It's kind of a prayer they're praying, saying, Save now, Jesus. Save us politically from these Roman people. Deliver us from this Roman oppression. And then they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, they knew he came from God. They say, Blessed is he who came from the name of the Lord. And then he's then they call him the King of Israel. Because literally Jesus had the Romans not been in control, he had the right to the throne. He did. Because he was in the legal line of Joseph. And then on the other side through Mary. Both sides he had the line to the throne. And so they know that he has the right to the throne. And so they call him the king of Israel. And one of the other gospels. I think it's Matthew. They say son of David. And David was that line through which the kings came. And they knew that. They're crying out with this. Political conqueror song saying, Hey, political messiah, we're electing Jesus the next king. You come help us get rid of these Roman oppressors. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's not fulfilling Psalm 118, the conqueror song. What he's actually fulfilling is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, because it says, in verse 14, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. So, what happens? This, the verse that we just read, Hosanna, that's out of Psalm 118. And then this verse in verse 15 says, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Sitting on a donkey's colt. That's directly out of Zechariah 9 verse 9. And this is a prophecy that Jesus, the Savior of the world, Israel's true king, would come and he would be riding on a donkey's colt. And if you remember from the other gospels, Jesus told him to go find this man and tell him that the master has need of this. And he rides in. This colt, this foal that has never been ridden, and he rides into Jerusalem. Now, when a king comes in, he doesn't come riding on a donkey, does he? You know, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they're crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so Jesus doesn't back off from these hosannas. He doesn't back off from this because he is indeed the King of Israel. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But you know what? He came not this time to make war, but He came to make peace. Because guess what? When a king would come in, what would they be riding? A white charger, right? And in Revelation, it talks about the fact, I'm trying to find my verse here, but there's a verse in Revelation, and it talks about the fact that that Jesus, when He comes back to be King of kings, to be Lord of lords, that he will be riding a white horse. He will be riding a white charger. But here, he's trying to give them the message, look, I am your king. Yes, I am your Messiah. But this time I came to make peace because a king didn't ride in on a donkey. A little old colt. He didn't do that. They're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he comes in the name of the Lord, King of Israel. And I found my verse here. It is Revelation 19 verse 11. It says, Behold a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges, and he makes war. Remember what? John chapter 1 verse 49, all the way back in the beginning of this book, we started it. It says, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He knew that Jesus was to be King. And so this is a Messianic psalm. And it talks about the stone which the builders rejected. That talks about Christ. And so they're they're singing the right psalm in a sense because He is the one that's going to be rejected. But guess what? He didn't come this time to conquer. He came to be crucified. As we look at this, it's pretty neat because they're singing this psalm but Zechariah 9.9 9 is fulfilled right here. They're saying, Jesus, O great conqueror, King of Israel, saved now. And, and they don't understand. The Messiah's arrived. He's come. They're ready to be released from this oppressive Roman rule. But guess what? He's there for a different reason. You know, and, and it's amazing. There's several prophecies right here. And I want to kind of tie all this together a little bit for you. And I'm I'm just going to go to a couple of verses. We already talked about Zechariah 9, verse 9. We also want to talk about... You know how we know the Bible's true? We know number one because prophecy. There was 333 prophecies fulfilled the first time Jesus comes. And there'll be over 300 fulfilled when He comes again. And there's been many fulfilled in between. And then we also know that Jesus is God because of the miracles and the power that He has. But let's get back to the prophecies for a second. In Genesis chapter 49 verse 10, there's a prophecy there that says the scepter. You know, the scepter is at, I guess, sort of like a, a kingly staff. It has rubies or whatever on it that the king holds out and he rules and reigns with it. But it says the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. Now Shiloh is just another name for Jesus. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so, and it says when he arrived that there would be a gathering of people to him. And sure enough he arrives and guess what, all the people gathered to him. And they're crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This verse 49.10 predicts that when Shiloh comes at that point that, that there won't be any more people on the throne of Israel. It continues until the point that the Messiah is born, that, Israel's, that Jesus is born. And just at the time of the Savior's birth, that at the time that that he, he dies. They say, we have no king but Caesar. Here it is. The prophecy fulfilled. I want to read a couple of more verses for you over here in, over in Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to a bunch of places this morning. I know, hopefully I haven't lost y'all. In Daniel chapter 9, you know, Daniel, if you ever want to study the book of Revelation... Daniel is one of those books. And Ezekiel, those are books that you need to really read and study too. And it says in Daniel chapter 9, there's a prophecy that says, seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness." to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem into Messiah the Prince there shall be seven weeks and sixty two weeks that's sixty nine weeks now what we're going to find out is these are weeks of years so we're talking four hundred and eighty three years and it says the streets shall be built again in the wall in troublesome times. After the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end of sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined He is poured out on the desolate. So what this prophecy says is there's going to come a time when all the, the transgression, all the sins, all the things have been have been completed by all the people. There comes a time that when Jesus says that's enough. And on that day, he's going to come back from heaven. But what this prophecy says is that, first of all, and then he says, secondly, know therefore that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And then it says, after 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off. So what happens here? There have been people who have calculated, they have counted the days from the day that Artaxerxes gave them the command to rebuild Jerusalem. That is when Nehemiah was rebuilding it. Guess what? From that day that that they said to rebuild Jerusalem, that the command was given, there was 173,880 days which is exactly four hundred and eighty three years. Now, like I said, I don't have time to go through every bit of this, but this is sixty two weeks of years. If you multiply all of these weeks out, you know, sixty two times seven is four hundred and basically eighty three years. On the three hundred and sixtieth day of the four hundred and eighty third year Guess who comes down the streets of Jerusalem? Jesus on a donkey. That is what happens. It happens exactly like the Bible says it's going to happen. To the day exactly to the day. And there's some guy, I forget what his name is, uh, Sir Robert Anderson has written a whole book and he's studied this thing and he's calculated it out and he's he's figured it down to the exact day. And so on that day, on the 6th of April, he says 32 A.D., Jesus comes riding on a donkey down the streets of Jerusalem. And that's what happens. Just as it was foretold That's what's going to happen. Here we are. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He's coming down the streets of Jerusalem on a donkey at the right time. And He's forcing these people's hands because He has to die on the cross at the same time that those uh, lambs are dying. Here Jesus comes on a donkey giving a message of peace. And they're singing the conqueror's song saying you know here comes our king who's going to deliver us and they just didn't understand that's what it says in verse 16 his disciples did not understand these things at first but when jesus was glorified then they remembered that these things were written about him and that he they had done these things to him see even his disciples didn't understand until after jesus died on the cross and had been resurrected they didn't understand everything But do you remember what Jesus tells them in John chapter 14? He says, I will send the Holy Spirit. And then when I send the Holy Spirit, you will understand a lot of these things that I've said and He's done. Because you can't understand them because the Bible says that the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. And who knows the things of the Spirit? But the Spirit, God's Spirit, right? Man knows the things of man, but God knows the things of God. And so after Jesus dies, after He's resurrected, and all these things have happened, the disciples later on, they come to understand, wow, this happened just like the Bible said it was going to happen. And they understood it then. But they didn't understand it at this point. They realized what they had done. They realized what Jesus had done riding on that donkey. They realized when He rode in the street and the people had said these things, what was truly happening. And so Jesus is forcing these people's hands because He knows when He rides down that street and these people are crying out, Hey, Messiah! Hey, King of Israel! These Pharisees are going to get so mad. They're going to get so furious that they're going to abandon their plans to wait to after the Passover to kill Him. And they're going to go ahead and start making plans to kill Him as soon as they can get hold to Him. And remember what we talked about the last time? You remember right after Jesus... Basically, rebuke Judas for saying we should have sold this perfume for and given it to the poor. When you read the other gospels, it says that Judas went out and they gave him money to sell Jesus and and, and betray him. But but they're just looking for the right time, the proper time now, and so that's already been done. And so Jesus has put everything into plan. Judas has done his part. The Pharisees are doing their part. The people are doing their part. And it's all coming together just like God wants it to. Did you know that the greatest miracle is that God can heal us from cancer or some sickness or some disease? But the greatest miracle is just what I said a minute ago, that God works all things together for good. And one day at the end of this Bible, at the end of time, it's going to turn out just like this Bible says at the end of the book of Revelation. It's going to turn out just like He said it would. And it's been turning out just like He said it would for many, many years. And so that's what's happening here. These people are are uh, pushing envelope there. Pushing envelope. And guess what? Jesus is headed down that road. He's headed to be crucified. It says here, That uh, therefore people, verse 17, who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. Guess what? These people who saw Lazarus come out of the grave, they're telling other people, they're witnessing that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And then it says, For this reason the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after Him. Basically, they understand that what they've tried to do, they've tried to stop Jesus. They've tried to stop this whole thing, but they can't do anything about it because God's in control. God's on the throne. Remember that, folks. I'm going to close there today, but just remember that no matter what your situation, no matter where you're at, God knows everything that's going on. God's in control. Yes, He allows some tough things in our lives. But the Bible says that God allows tough things in our lives so that we can become more like Him. Because when we have those tough times, that's when we cry out to God, isn't it? When we have those tough times, that's when we draw near to God. When we have those tough times, that's when we say, Oh God, we need You. Please come and help me and, and be with me. No matter what's going on in our lives, God's with us. And yes, we go through tough times, but the Bible says in Romans 8.18 that the sufferings of this world shall not be worthy to be considered with the glory which we'll have in heaven. Today, I just want us to understand that God loves us. He cares for each one of us. And just don't think when you go through tough times and hard times that God's left you. Because Hebrews 13.15 says He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. And so just remember that God is always with us. He's with us as we go through our troubles. He was with Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before Him, despised the cross and endured the shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. See, He went to the cross. He knew that He had to do that to be what He was supposed to be and to do what He was supposed to do. And sometimes we have to endure crosses. We have to endure hard times. We have to endure those things to become the person that God wants us to be. Well, let's pray and then we'll sing one last song. Father, we love You. We thank You. We praise You for Jesus. And we praise You for all these folks that are here today. And we just pray for those that are sick and don't feel like coming today and we just ask today that you would help each and every one of us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he despised the cross and he endured the shame and he has finished the work and sat down at the right hand of the Father on high and he lives there forevermore to intercede for us. So Father, we thank you for that. We love you and we praise you. And I just thank You as Lord that You are still on the throne and You still love us and You gave us Your greatest gift of all, Your Son. And He died on that cross that we might have eternal life. We thank You for that. In Jesus' name, Amen.